if you're stressed and anxious, learning how to squat can actually make you feel very grounded because you got a windy mind. You're up in space. You need to be in the ground. And I'm not talking about that in a metaphoric sense. I mean, literally, you need to be on the ground. You need your butt on next to your heels on the ground. And that alone can really, really help solidify and get you out of what you mentioned, like sympathetic fight or flight, which is also like, it's a simplification. Clearly we can get into that some other time, but yeah, but like fight or flight is very much a simplification. There's a lot of other things going on there. And then parasympathetic rest and digest It's the rest and digest part in Chinese medicine. It would be yang and yin yang sympathetic yin is parasympathetic yin is how you relax and you sleep and you heal yang is action yang is getting up in the morning and doing stuff you can have both you can't have an axis of one and not the other because then you end up with a bunch of weird situations hello and welcome to the veriditas podcast where we believe that leadership is first and foremost a spiritual path. My name is Dr. Lauren Borden. I'm a professional certified coach, industrial organizational psychologist, and your host. Together, we'll bridge the divide between the practical and the spiritual, the conscious and the unconscious, and of course, the mind, body, and spirit all to support you in deepening your growth so that you can create the impact in the world that only you can have. It is so good to have you here. Let's get started. Grant, welcome to the podcast. It's Super cool to have you here because I feel like you're part of this little mini series of the podcast where the intro is some version of, I met this person when I was 14 years old, or I met this person when I was 12 and we reconnected in adulthood. And I'm actually wondering what your memory of that was, of Of sort of reconnecting in adulthood. I reached out to you on Facebook because that's the proper non-creepy way to do it. For Uh, a millennial. For a millennial, yeah. Millennials and, will do Facebook, yes. And Never Instagram or TikTok. We met in Union Square, and it turned out that after many years, we had way more in common than I would say we even did in high school. Where we were walking around the basement of the Strand Bookstore while my then girlfriend, now wife, was with her mother walking around the city, and we were just talking about all of it, kind of what we're supposed to be talking about today which is the health and the wellness and all those bits. I think we ended up in the basement next to the occult section. <laughs> and I bought a, I bought Rosie, I guess, for the purpose of the cup, my wife. I bought my wife a book on lucid dreaming with the sincere purpose of trying to get her to lucid dream and then also trying to get her to do more dream journaling so that the stories of her dreams could get tighter. Y'all have such a cool relationship. Also, was the book good? Was is it something oh, it was. that you read I and need, I need to I need to read it. I saw it on the bookshelf the other day, and I would. It's something I I would like to be able to do. Well, because lucid dreaming, that's a really fun one. Actually, I have. I'm talking to my friend Steph River in a few weeks, who does dream work, mm-hmm. which is a whole like segment of self development you know and spiritual people. work. 
I know really fun people. That's what's so cool about having a podcast too, is that I get to introduce people to the fun people who I know and love. And well, and that's funny. It's funny that that was your memory of it too. Because I remember the way I kind of think about it too, is that I had after starting my business, I had these people who I would sort of mentally track online where I found it incredibly comforting to mentally reference people who were going off of the beaten path because I had just made this huge leap in my business and you were one of the people I referenced because you've had this super cool career. Like we both we both went to the same high school. We both were super focused on academics. I remember both of us studied like so much and worked so hard in school. And you were always someone who was, who was wildly successful in that space and have continued to be. And then my memory of you was like, you had this willingness to try new things and like explore art and then explore, like you kept sort of jumping around and following your passion and curiosity. And I was like, oh, Grant's Grant's doing the thing. So then when we kind of reconnected, it ended up being perfect. And I don't know if I've ever told you this. You're looking no, at me like this, I have four this heads. makes me feel really good about myself. Oh, you can continue. Oh, good. Because oh, <laughs> I'm like, I was successful in academics. I never felt that way. Also, I was I was open to exploring new things. I just thought I was trying to figure out something to do. Well, I think, and I think that that's so part. Of, and I, I'm curious. I want to check it, like, hear from your perspective what your story is. But I really think that's always something I've really seen in you is this courageousness and willingness to try new things and like, and also not get overly attached to the last thing that you were doing mm-hmm. and have your identity wrapped up in it such that you like defer the things that you need and actually light you up. And you had this willingness to kind of be a hummingbird and jump from flower to flower. And for me, watching you, it was something that was really important for me because it felt like something that was kind of waking up inside of myself mm-hmm. that having someone in my field who was doing it was just really inspiring to me. Oh. So that's who you been to me, Grant. But I'm curious about, tell us for everyone who's listening, no one has any idea who you are. Like, who are you? Tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you here, like your journey with business ownership and also physical health and all of the things that you do in the world. Perfect. Okay. Well, my name is Grant Clark. I run a business called Hidden Warrior, uh, where we do yoga, strength, fitness, and we really work on trying to help people get where they want to go. So most of my day-to-day is simply having people walk into my studio or talk to me online or occasionally working in corporate arenas where people are telling me stuff like, my posture is bad, or this foot hurts after I tried to do speed work in Central Park. Can we do something about that? And it becomes an exploration of, Okay, yeah, let's fix it. So my history of that is initially it was I started out as a personal trainer. The reason I gravitated towards that was when I was a teenager, I hurt my back real badly. And it was I played a lot of tennis. I was incredibly tight and no one ever taught me how to rotate. There was never an education on how to lift. I just knew that I was really skinny and wanted to get bigger which we're still working on, but... <laughs> no, you're not still working on it. I have to jump in on that. Like, can you just bottom line actually how much weight okay, you've gained? Yeah. Fine. So when I was at my lightest as an adult, I was 133 pounds, 6'1". I had some stress stuff going on, but I also had a... I had a FD bar in my late 20s, which is part of the health journey. 
And that's basically when you get mono ascended type. And generally, that only happens when your system is already getting trained in some way or another. If you're a healthy person, you don't get it. If you're a stressed out, anxious person from physical and mental stuff, yeah, it affects you. So back then, I was 133 pounds, probably at my lightest. And the way Epstein-Barr showed up for me was stomach issues and just general discomfort. And that got better while working with the naturopathic doctor and getting some ways of dealing with the world a little bit better where it wasn't just beating myself up. And back then I was 132 pounds. And now about five or six years later, I'm 178. So I'm 6'1". So it's, we're about where I need to be. Because interesting fun fact, and this will be the first of many, hopefully, in the talk, in your BMI index, your body mass index, which is not a perfect measurement by any means. Case in point, when we all were able to go get our COVID shots and I had some friends who realized they were technically obese, they didn't enjoy that news because it's not very hard to be technically obese in a BMI, especially if you're taller and you have some muscle. But fun fact. So here's the thing. Fun fact. There we go. So fun fact is that if your BMI is quite low, if you're underweight, your risk for the big four, diabetes, heart issues, cancer, that's actually higher than if you're simply overweight. So we have this thing in society where it's like, if I'm underweight or skinny, I am healthier than that overweight person. And actually, no. Statistically speaking, if you're a bit overweight, you're much better off than someone who's very underweight. Because underweight people are not well. Yeah. whether it be emotionally or physically. So I want to bottom line a couple of things that you said, and then I want you to continue with your, okay, your story. Okay. But it's like you literally... So learning about your health and learning about your fitness wasn't simply aesthetic. It was actually... And actually and fundamentally related to your health and well-being and your longevity. It was literally and survival. Was, it was literally survival. One and, of my greatest yeah. fears is being eaten alive. I appreciate the humor to cut the seriousness of the. Oh, no, no, I'm being 100% serious. <laughs> I cannot watch movies in which things are getting eaten alive, like, because it terrifies me. So, Jurassic Park, no. I don't, whatever the actor's guy who's Newman and Seinfeld, like watching him get eaten by that spitting dinosaur, that was traumatizing when I was like seven. You know, this is not the direction that I expected the conversation to go, but I really appreciate the fun fact about you. I did not know that about you. Well, but you gained like 30 to 40 pounds. Yeah, of... about 40 pounds, 45 pounds. And it's more or less all muscle. Yeah. And slowly over time in a very intentional way and like having that be a really part, big part of your journey. And so same more. So you had Epstein-Barr, you went through this experience of for you like rehabilitating rehabilita Yeah, so yourself. I, I kind of jumped around. But so basically 18, 19 had a back issue. So my back, I had a knot in my QL, which is a muscle right underneath your rib cage that attaches to your hip. If you've had back pain, you've felt this muscle before. It's responsible for lateral flexion of the spine at a slight angle, it can get very annoyed. Like if you bend over sideways to reach something on the outside of your foot. And it's really, since it's connected to the bottom of the rib cage and the hip, it has this very special sensitive place where it holds a lot of tension if you're not using the rest of your muscles. So I hurt that. And there was a knot on my left side for about hmm, on and off for a while. And then at one point, it was just there for like a year and a half. Like I had a knot in my back for a year and a half at that point when I was 21. 
So when people say, you know, when you're young, you feel invincible. No, never had that. Never got to enjoy that feeling of nothing bad can happen, which was part of the thing I mentioned where, you know, working with some people doing some hypnotherapy to help deal with anxiety and fear later on to help deal with the stress issues, because that was probably a part of it. But I worked with somebody who was a functional trainer, who was a personal trainer, went to chiropractors, went to physical therapists. I remember I had a physical therapist tell me like, you're always going to have a little bit of pain unless you're absolutely perfect, which is great to hear when you're that's, 19. That's kind uh, of a problematic oh, that yeah. I can see how that would instill, like go straight to your subconscious and yeah. carry itself out in some really super fun ways as, as an adult. Yes. So after that... I worked with a man who I ended up working for for a period of time, who was a functional trainer. And functional training has a lot of different meanings now. But back in the early 2000s, it really meant trying to train for activities of daily living. So getting good at the movements that help make you better at movement throughout the day. So one way I would describe that is squatting in such a way so that you can pick the Thanksgiving turkey out of the oven without throwing out your back. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, cleaning up your yard or grabbing a laundry basket or dealing with snow. You know, the things that we don't realize we have to pick up heavy stuff. Another one would be like a five-gallon uh, jug of water. Which all, by the way, sounds, if you're listening, might sound really mundane until you can't do it. Yes. Like until you are like, actually, my partner just... Well, I haven't told you this, but just uh, the other night when it was it was dark and she was checking on a she was checking on something that was beeping and didn't turn any lights on and fell down the last two stairs and oh, her she okay? and she's okay she's okay I, that's why I'm chuckling because it was like she was checking beeping which seems mm -hmm. so ridiculous and so now she's like hobbling around and, and is having a hard time like sitting down and all of these different things and she's okay, everybody. And we've, she's taking care of herself and everything. But if you've ever had this experience of, okay, these are the movements that we inherently take for granted. And for you that you... that oh, they were taken that, away pretty quickly. That you never had an opportunity to take them for granted. No. Like, because no. you had these back issues. Yeah. And also even before those, you know, I did athletics like everybody did in high school, but I was never especially good at any of them. So there was that piece as well, where I always wanted to get stronger, but every time I got stronger, stuff would hurt and I could never figure out, okay, how do I actually make myself stronger? Because for some people, it seems to be really easy. So then after that, I also am an artist. So I spent some time painting, went to grad school for painting, all that other good stuff. Still paint, still make work. That's actually one of the reasons why I got into this line of work because my schedule is shifting and random and I'm my own boss. So I can go paint when I want to, or in the case of the last couple of months, like learn how to play musical instruments. But after that, when I needed a job, I wanted to do that. So I shadowed with somebody for a year. I got my ACE certification, which is one of the American Council of Exercise. It's one of the basic certifications for personal training. And I am here to tell everyone, it is not hard to become a personal trainer. It's not hard at all. It's super duper easy. I studied and memorized three books. I didn't need to do that. I needed to memorize one chapter of that book, which was the injury prevention chapter, because that's what all the questions are about. Because they want to make sure the baseline is that you don't hurt anyone. That's their only goal. Just do no harm. So it's a lot of questions about heart rate and when someone should go to the hospital. 
Fun fact, if anyone's listening to this and they're like, okay, how do I pass the ACE exam? There you yeah, go. There's, there there's you the go. keys there's to the kingdom. Secrets. There's, there's the answer. The well, and to your point though, that's really important to know because it's like what it actually takes to become proficient in really taking care of your body over time with an eye on aging and with an eye on physical fitness and all of these things takes way more than just passing that exam. Yes, but the passing yeah. exam is a good place to start. But this gentleman, he followed that some people I really enjoy reading, which we can obviously attach a reading list to this if we wanted to, are the physical therapists and trainers the like of like Greg Cook or Dan John or Pavel Satsulin. There are a lot of other names, but those are the, or Katie Bowman, who's a biomechanics person from Denver, who's super interesting to read. But basically all of them work in the realm of how do you train a person and what sort of guidelines do you set up so that they are healthy and strong and fit in a useful way. So it's less about aesthetics and it's more about being and useful, whether it be in athletics or just in life. So the gentleman that I learned from, he was a student of this and been doing it a long time. So he taught me after I shadowed him, I didn't talk to a client basically for seven months. So I shadowed him and he would test me. He'd be like, what's wrong with the squat or what's wrong with this? So he built an eye for movement. And then after that, you know, eventually it was time to move on. And after that, I got my uh, yoga teacher training certification, which is a 200 hour thing. It's another thing where you go to a course and you show up on Sundays and it's an interesting course. But again, to become a yoga teacher, the barrier of entry is not that high. And then I got my 500 hour teacher training certification, which is another 300 hours of training. And then since then, I don't belong to, there's no really significant governing alliance for yoga. The closest is the yoga alliance, but the recent years, most of us don't pay attention to them. Their main goal is to just collect dues and kind of try to make sure that there's some level of attachment, but some of their goals are iffy and strange. Anyway, but I've taught for at this point way over 10,000 hours. And my goal after that 500 hour yoga certification was the reason I loved it was in yoga, if you are teaching a yoga or if you are a yoga studio, which initially I very much was and still consider myself a bit of a yoga studio for sure, is when you work with somebody and you ask them to roll on the ground and they've shown up to a yoga trainer to do this, they do not look at you weird. So I love being in the realm of yoga because not only are all those movements really key movements that are the same thing as functional training, but also it allows a flexibility mentally to play around with other positions and to play with movements that are very primal in how you learn how to move. Because we all learn how to move in very specific ways. So from there, that's where I started building my expertise, taking other workshops, taking other research projects, and just trying to figure out how to help people get out of their discomforts, their tightness, their pain as quickly as possible and get them aware of their bodies as quickly as possible. So in essence, that's the other part of that was the Epstein-Barr story is that taught me a lot about how the body in terms of your immune system and your lymphatic system and your lymphatic system is your immune system and it consists of lymph nodes and a bunch of vessels that run parallel to blood vessels. And if it's inflamed, you have a stomach issue. And if it's inflamed, you can't loosen your body. So that's when I started working with a lot of people with autoimmune stuff. 
and inflammation issues and started to better understand how recovery works in the human body. So through those... Sorry, a bell's going off for me. So when you have Epstein-Barr or an issue with chronic inflammation in your body, you're saying that it translates to not having, like having poor flexibility and therefore Uh probably a much higher risk of injury. I'll say this slowly because it's really important. Your brain does not care about your muscles and your fascia and your tendons. It cares about the health of your lymphatic system, your nervous system, your cardiovascular system, your organs, your GI tract. And there's a list where all these are in progression. But the first one actually is emotion. And the second one is lymphatic period. So your body would much rather protect itself so that your liver can continue to function than allow you to move in such a way where that portion will pull on an inflamed liver. That's That's one example. It also happens in the kidneys and I could name basically like, and your lungs and your heart, everything else, but the endocrine system and the system that helps clean out your body, the spleen, the liver, the kidneys. And in, you know, in Chinese medicine, those were considered really the center of the body. The heart was less of a concern and the brain wasn't even on any wavelength. Those really matter for health. And the thing is, is when I work with people, a big question is, in the first assessments that I do, or because the goal is to just create a change when I first see people is, can I create a change? Can you, if you're coming in with a complaint or a goal, can we meaningfully reach that goal in like 20 minutes? It might seem like a big ass or a big hokey thing where it's like, I can take away your pain or take away a lot of your tension in 20 minutes. But if you don't have an inflammation issue, it shouldn't be that hard. If you do, then it might be a lot harder. Because I was doing everything before I knew I had Epstein-Barr to try to loosen my body and I was just getting tighter and weaker. And it wasn't until I started addressing the source of the inflammation that any of that went away. Wow, this is really interesting because it's like really for you philosophically and all y'all, I can attest to this, mm-hmm. having worked with Grant is that the ability to think holistically first and foremost, and, you know, in terms of, okay, what is the rest of the body doing? What's going on in the rest of the body? Like, is there some other factor here that's showing up in a physical way and showing up in the body? And also this piece around functional fitness and like, which sounds like it was really informed by like your early injuries and all of that. Oh, like, yeah. like, tell us a little bit about how that's increased. And I'm, I realize I'm sort of interrupting you, but I want to like- No, no, really please corral me. This is the like, point. Yeah, no, because it's like, I really want to bottom line this of like, of you had this really cool, not cool at the time, it was horrible. And it sucked. And I remember even being in high school with you. And we both went to Angelo. Do you remember? Angelo? Yes, I remember Angelo. Angelo, and was- Angelo, wherever he is, I hope he's well. But Angelo taught me how to glue bridge wrong. Yeah. I'll never forgive him. But he, he was a personal trainer. He's like really, really wonderful. We learned a ton from him. I'm like, I also think he was a physical therapist. Was he a physical therapist? I, yeah, he was. Or, he yeah, was he was a physical therapist. therapist and a trainer, and he was a talented guy. I and mean, he did help to some degree. But it was the same thing where it was the way he worked is the way a lot of them work. Is he had a system, and when you walked in and you had an issue, he's like, okay, well, these exercises fixed the issue. And the problem with that is if the awareness isn't there. And this is something that's sometimes missing from functional training. So functional training these days is sometimes translated to, I do squats on a BOSU ball. 
like, oh, or yeah. I do curls with light weights while balancing on one leg. Cool. If you want to do it, cool. If you want to squat on an unstable surface, I mean, I'd hope you have a reason for it. Like you're a surfer and it makes sense for you to squat on an unstable surface, but otherwise, can you squat all the way to your heels? No. Then take the BOSU ball away and start by squatting all the way on your heels. My point is, is, is in a tongue in cheek way is, is what you're talking about. It's like with the functional training and with the anatomy bits is as I was going through those issues and you lose your ability to move, nothing is more frustrating. And it's understanding that you get tight for a reason. And sometimes that reason has nothing to do with muscles. And sometimes it does. And then sometimes it has to do with anxiety or stress or guilt or all the things coaches help you with. Well, and so, and I mean, the thing that I think is so powerful about the way that we work with people is taking all of that into account. You're basically reteaching people how to move in a way that has reinstilling integrity in the body so that when you go and you're like, okay, maybe now I want to learn if I like, I want to increase my squat or whatever, like that you're actually moving correctly and in a way that is sustainable. And that's at least what you've given me. But I'm curious about like, for you, like, how does this show up in your practice now in terms of okay. this philosophy? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of this philosophy, it's pretty simple. Is what I always say to people is you have to be good at certain things. Everybody has to be good at the same stuff. We're all human. We might have different lengths of legs, different hands, different shoulders, right? But there are a couple of movements, and this is very much a functional training, Greg Cook thing, where he was one of the first people to really label like, okay, you need to be able to squat. And there are different types of squat. You need to be able to lunge which is stepping one foot and dropping the knee to the ground. And then if you get into the weightlifting terms or functional, you need to be able to deadlift, which is a hip hinge where your chest starts to face the ground and you don't bend your knees as much. You need to be able to do a press off the ground. The big one is you need to be able to do a pull-up. And if you can't do a pull-up, you need to be able to hang off a bar for at least a minute. I still can't do a pull-up. I was about to say, anyone listening to this, if you go and try hanging, please, please go hang. I literally tell everybody I work with to go hang and don't be surprised if you last 10 seconds or if you're unable to get up at all. In that case, just keep your feet on the ground and bend your legs and take as much tension into your hands as you can handle. Hanging is this wonderful thing for the human body that is a big part of climbing and pulling. And if we keep going through this, you know, and then you have everything else, you have the twist motions, you have movements like the Turkish get up, which involve getting off the ground while twisting, while holding a weight up above your head. All of these are essential things to learn. Some of them are more important for certain people. Like a lunge is really important for a runner. And so is a hang. For someone who is really concerned with balance, being able to get up and off the ground is the most important thing. So that's where the focus goes. But I guess in my practice, the way this works is everybody's got to learn these things, but how you get there is entirely dependent on how you've moved up until that point. So what I mean by that is, if you have been a soccer player all your life, you are going to have habits. If you've not done anything physically, you're going to have habits. If you are an opera singer, you are going to have habits. I remember I worked with this one woman who she was training to become a mortician, but she had been an opera singer 10 years. And she had never worked out. She was overweight. She wanted to lose weight. She had never moved really. 
because she was an opera singer and she knew how to breathe through her diaphragm, through her belly, she was so strong that by the first hour that we were together, by minute 45, we were deadlifting like 100 pounds off the ground. And this woman had never lifted a weight before. And she walked in two days later and she went, I feel great. Can we do that again? So that, again, but everybody's got different stuff. So if you've rolled an ankle, you're going to have a habit to move. So that's why I exist in so many different modalities. And I like to steal from whoever I can. Because in some cases, using a kettlebell to learn how to squat is really helpful. Because giving a weight, this is a very old Russian thing to do. But if you can't do something, sometimes giving someone a heavy weight makes them do it. Which can be scary. Like let's say you've hurt your knees, your back, and I hand you a 30-pound weight. I said, okay, now we're going to squat. Or we're going to go sit on that bench while you're holding this. And a big piece of that is a little bit of coaching to turn things on, but it'll turn stuff on for them and they'll figure it out. But that works for some people. Some people are too nervous for that. So you got to get them on the ground, which is where most people start anyway, and teach them where the pieces are, how to breathe deeply, where are your hips, and then also how to, what, what I call, and what a lot of people call, pack the shoulders. How do you bring your shoulders towards your hips? How do you turn yeah, was, the muscles underneath your armpits? We've talked about this a lot. I, I, I know that was a game for y'all. The first time Grant had me do that, the release I experienced. So one of the things to know about working with Grant and like the way that you work with people and I've worked with, a, y'all, I've worked with a lot of trainers. I've done a lot of stuff. Like, you know this about me. I've tried yes. everything. You've shown and, me some of your training things and I've gone, I don't ever need to do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like I've I've tried a lot of stuff and you have this way of Grant will watch you move. You have a way of knowing how to watch people move and go, that's loose, that's tight, that like you can assess very fast and pinpoint what's going on. And then for me, when you assessed me and watched me move, teaching me that one shift of how to pack my shoulders, what ended up happening was I had the largest physical and emotional release from my shoulders. In oh, the I remember next, that. You remember that? In you the sent next, me a text message. And you went, I was like, what did you do? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? But it was, it was like, and it was at the time, it was really unnerving. Like it, it felt it grant and look, grant is insanely, incredibly gentle. Like I've had you work with my mother who has all kinds of injuries and sensitivities and, and it, you are wonderful with her. So I don't want to, I don't mean to say this to give the impression that what you're doing is oh, harsh no, or but- painful. But well, it, what it you felt like, was pretty intense. Because what happens is your body relearns how to move in the way that it was designed to move, which means that it will release tension that it was not designed to carry in places where it's carrying the most tension. And I remember laying on my bed and texting you and being like, so this feels really weird. Like, can you tell me what the hell is going on? So these little terms of like pack your shoulders, which really Mm -hmm. means pull your shoulder blades down, like, and you can explain this way better than me, but like pull them down to your hips, Mm -hmm. turns off your shoulders. The key is is not squeezing your shoulder blades together. And here's the difficult part is anyone listening, move your shoulder blades together. Now here's a question. Do you know where they are? Did you raise your shoulders up? Have you stopped breathing? Did your hands clench? Did your jaw tighten? Can you move them back and forth with ease? Again, if you're looking in a mirror, are the tops of the shoulders or your shirt, is it scrunching up in little lines? Because if it is, push your shoulders down. 
and moves them back and forth. But when you pack your shoulders, the goal is it's a boxer's muscle. So there's this muscle underneath your armpit called the serratus. And it's this muscle that if you've ever seen very cut people at the gym, and it looks like they have extra rib cages. You know what I'm talking about? Like those little lines. The Brad Pitt from Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Brad Pitt from Fight Club. That's the goal. That's the dream. So, <laughs> so it's not actually the dream. It, most of that is just get strong to a point and then jump rope enough that you have no fat. And then you will look like Brad Pitt. And then you will be probably low energy because being below 10% body fat is not efficient. And then you won't yeah. have a sex drive. Yeah, which like, what's the point then? <laughs> what's the point then? It's if you're going to look good, like you should have energy to enjoy it, right? But continue, you're serratus. Yes, sorry, you, were, you, were, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So the serratus is that is those extra lines, that Brad Pitt muscle. So when you push your shoulder down, right, you tighten that muscle. It's also responsible for pulling the shoulder blades apart. The fancy term would be abduction of the shoulders. Abduction pulls things from the center line, but we don't need to get into Latin or descriptions because it doesn't. But you can get underneath your armpit, and once you can turn that on and then manipulate your arms and your legs and keep that on, then you can move with a structural integrity you were meant to. So what I mean by that is it's not like I want people to walk around with their shoulders scrunched into their scapula and towards their hips so hard all the time. It's that. If that is not a natural resting place where you can keep that calm, then everything gets harder. I mean, everything. So if you work out and every time you do pull downs, rows, push-ups, you get that irritable top of your trap, the top of the shoulder gets really irritating. We were talking about headaches earlier, Yep. where you get tension headaches up the side of the head. That's a big piece of the problem. So that's one example of everybody's got to learn that. I'm wondering if we can speak a little bit more to this. So there are a lot of people who are probably listening to this who might be athletes, might be into physical fitness and things like that. But I can say that probably most of them work at a desk, right? Okay, perfect. And so like, what are some of the... We're mentioning right now this muscle imbalance and not being able to turn your serratus on and how that can manifest in like headaches and some of these things that you're mentioning. But like, what are some of the things that you see in people working at a desk specifically? Okay, yeah. So currently, technically, you're supposed to finish the book before you go on a podcast. But currently, I am writing a book. The working title is How to Be Human. Uh, and Good title, yeah. The working title is How to Be Human. And it's basically, I'm trying to make the shortest, simplest book possible. Because there are three movements that you need to be good at to be human, to move efficiently, to get any better at the big stuff I was mentioning before. And all three of these suffer when you sit at a desk. So when you sit at a desk for a really long time, or you stand at a desk for a really long time, or you do one physical activity for a really long time, you enter a problem called adaptive shortening. So adaptive shortening is basically, it's a concept in muscle where when you do something, your body naturally gets more efficient at it. So you know how losing weight can be hard? And then everyone was like, yeah. That's a very dumb thing to say, Grant. We all know that can be very hard to lose weight. And you know how you can seemingly make a lot of progress and then all of a sudden you plateau and you have to change your technique or you have to change, you have to lower the amount of calories you're eating or something. Part of this is because the human body is super efficient. It's really good at its job and it's really good at adapting. 
and our neuroplasticity, our ability for our brains to learn new skills is phenomenal. So what happens is, is when you sit in the desk for a long time, you spend a lot of time in one position, your body literally changes the position of your body in a permanent way to make those things more efficient as you move. Also, I'm enjoying this. You can't see a camera, but at this point, Lori just got up and moved around a bunch as we were talking about sitting. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm definitely doing this wrong. I'm I'm sitting on the floor at our new house and I'm like, I don't have back support. I'm bending over. Oh my gosh, I'm doing it wrong. Are your legs crossed? Uh, No, I'm kneeling. Oh, that's fine. But if you cross your legs and sit cross-legged, that'll give you enough support in your lower back because it turns on your hips. Thank you, Grant. <laughs> but I don't have any furniture in my house, but we can get into that in a second. Uh, so basically what happens is if you sit a lot, your body shortens in areas and lengthens in areas. And muscles can only create force by shortening. I'm going to say that one more time. Muscles can only create force by tightening. So if you sit, the front of your hips get very short. The hip flexors get tighter. There are those muscles in the front of the hip. And you can literally see it as I'm sitting on my bench right now. The space between my stomach and my thighs is closer than if I'm standing. So if I spend so much time in this position, when I stand up, my hips will tilt. So your hips, think of them as a big bucket of water. Okay. So if you look down, like we're looking down from you from a bird's eye view, and we saw the bowl of your hips and we filled it with water, your hips can tilt basically 360 degrees. So you could take that water and dump it out of any piece of the hip. But the most important pieces are what's called an anterior hip tilt and a posterior hip tilt. So anterior is where the bony part of the front of your hip is leaning forward and you get an arch in your back. And then posterior is the front part of your hip. That's why we use it as a reference. Tilts back and you flatten your back. If you've ever been in a fitness class and they told you to flatten your back into the ground, What they're trying to do is protect your back by turning on your abs. Because when you posteriorly tilt or a cat position in yoga, where the cat cow is a very common position, if you cat your hips in yoga, that is turning on the abs. If you cow, which is tailbone up, you are going to turn on some of the muscles of the back, but also turn on the hip flexors. So the problem is, is when you sit for long periods of time, your body locks in one of these positions often. So you stay in that position even when you stand up. So if you don't know how to adjust or that that's even happening, because that's a very deep internal thing, learning how to hip tilt is one of the first thing I teach people. One of the easiest ways to do it is really straightforward. You lie on your back with your legs bent and you try to flatten your back onto the ground and then arch your lower back off the ground. And if it hurts, don't do it as far. But as you go back and forth, you'll notice that your hips move as your back moves. So then all you do is instead of focusing on your back, Try to tilt the hips back and forth. And something cool happens here when you do this is it changes the order in which muscles fire. So or muscles work in groups. You have synergistic muscles, and then you have muscles that help you uh, that are the primary movers. So any movement that you do has a primary mover, and it has helper synergistic muscles. Sometimes we use the smaller synergistic muscles to do the movement. That's when stuff hurts, i.e. you squat, your back hurts, when the major muscle is your glutes and maybe the psoas, one of the deep hip flexors of your body. Those are the things that should be working the most. But if they're not, the helper muscles, 
the hamstrings, back, maybe parts of the hip flexors, or even depending on what you're doing, the top of the shoulders end up doing most of the force for you and they get really tired. So when you're in a desk, that position, that adaptive shortened position that happens over months and years, kind of gets locked in there and you stop moving pieces of your body. So the way this shows up is the other two things that are essential to being human, besides being able to tilt your hips and understanding where your hips are in space, is something called diaphragmatic breathing. And if anyone's been listening to the papers or anything else, we've been people have been talking about this a lot more in the last year or two. And your diaphragm is this dome-shaped muscle underneath your ribcage that when you inhale, it expands down, it contracts and allows air to fill your lungs. And when you exhale, it should relax and allow your belly to empty, as in your belly can compress because your lungs are empty. Most people use auxiliary muscles of breathing, the muscles around the rib cage, and what's called collicular breathing, collarbone breathing. So, Laurie, when we first started working together, it didn't take much, and this is why Zoom is more than helpful in terms of seeing somebody on a video, is I could see, I was like, oh, you're a collarbone breather. Because every time we were talking, the first thing I notice, because I can't turn my brain off, and this is how I look at people, is, oh, every time she breathes, her shoulders move ever so slightly. Why is she doing that? That probably hurts. (laughs) Yeah, do you feel, if anyone's listening now, you're very aware of your back and your posture, right? Awareness. So what happens is, is when you're no longer deep belly breathing and you're using these auxiliary muscles, you breathe something like 30,000 times a day. So I dare you to do 30,000 reps of anything and not feel pain when you are not using something that was built for it. The diaphragm was built for it. It's behind the heart. It's the strongest muscle in the body because it never stops. Because if it stops, we don't really breathe anymore. And the auxiliary muscles are there to help us pull in more air when we need it, i.e. when we're running away from a jungle cat. Wait, hold on. This is really, really cool. And it's it might, I'm like just realizing that, you know, Sally, who's like driving through Tulsa right now, might be listening, listening and be like, what is a diet? You know, like what is a diet? Like, but the thing, if you were to bottom line, I'd like can okay. also attempt to do it. But it's like hip tilt is hip, important. Oh no, I because, can bottom line it. It's yeah, yeah. Hip tilt because when you sit in a chair a long time, the hips don't work anymore because you forget where they are. Deep belly breathing, which is something we use in yoga a lot, or diaphragmatic breathing. Because for the same reason, if you're bent over a desk, whether you be leaning back in a chair, you stop breathing through your belly because your muscles get tight. They don't get strong, they get tight. So then you're unable to move through your belly. Then the last one is the packing of the shoulders. If you are, and this is how they're all intertwined. If you collarbone breathe, you are bad at pushing your shoulders towards your hips because 30,000 times a day, you breathe up. And that causes, that's a big piece of neck cramps, a lack of strength in the shoulders and the arms, or feeling stuff like pain in the hands, in the back, in the shoulders. And here's the thing. All of these things are connected in a way that the more I learn is horribly, horribly (laughs) complicated and also so simple. It's ridiculous. So one of the other things to talk about is all these are related through what's called fascia. So fascia is the sticky substance that covers all your muscles and it dissipates and creates force in your body. So it helps you both take the pressure of say like jumping off the ground and creating the force and taking the pressure. And so all of both the shoulder packing, the diaphragm, the hip tilt, all these are related to different what 
a guy named Thomas Myers who came up with the concept. Well, he wasn't the one who came up with it. He just did a lot of research on it. And his book is called Anatomy Trains, and it's very hard to read, but the pictures are awesome. But it's basically a description of how these things work together. So because of that, when you're sitting at a desk or you're experiencing this adaptive shortening, you end up in a situation where you can no longer move efficiently just by function of the fact that you're starting at a place that the muscles are not in their optimal length that they were when you were a baby. So like if you hang out with a baby and you watch them crawl, do everything they're trying to do, and you can see how hard it is. And part of that's just being adult, our muscles heighten the that we do lose some of that flexibility for sure. But a big piece of that is all of this is related to you are tight for a reason. Mm. Does that make sense? Is that clear? It, it does. Well, and I'm wondering like, so if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, so sign number one is you work at the desk all day, right? Yes. This is good, good probability that this is, and also school and elementary school. And like, we've always been asked to be at desks forever, you know? And so good probability that this is impacting you. And if you have any question about whether or not you've got adaptive shortening going on, actually, first off, why does it matter? And second, Ah. what are the, like, really and truly, because it's like, okay, like, I get it. I'm sitting at a desk. I can literally hear one of my clients in her voice, like, okay, I get it. I sit at a desk, whatever. I'll deal with it when I get my company IPOs, right? And like, I don't have to sit at at a desk all day. And it's like, so why is this important? And second, like, what are the indicators that you're like, in the pre-pain indicators that this is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those okay. Are the two yeah. Okay. So yeah. Cause it's not usually important until you try to pick up a very light Amazon box and then your back goes out and you're like, what happened to my discs and why? And yep. the thing is, it's not because you picked it up randomly. It's because you only get so many bad repetitions of movements before your body gives up. So one of the reasons it's important is you only get so many bad reps. By the time I was 19 and 20, I ran out of bad reps because my movement patterns were so poor that at that point, other muscles were starting to seize. And the thing is, is nowadays, back then I was a little bit of an anomaly. Nowadays, I am not. The amount of teenagers I see who have an issue because they've been staring at computers and they've been working on phones and you know they're hunched is an issue. But the other reason it's important is you get a new set of bones every seven years. So what I mean by that is that your muscles and your tendons and your joints all regenerate at different rates. Muscles, it's about 30 days. Tendons and ligaments, it's about 280 days. So that's why most of our injuries are in muscles and tendons, or tendons and ligaments, because they take a long time to heal fully. Your bones, you get new bones every seven years. And the thing is, your bones change shape based off of the force that's put across them. So what that means is, is that if you exist in poor posture for long enough, you can relieve a lot of the discomfort. And I do, but at a certain point, you can't reverse it Mm. because your bones have literally changed shape. Whoa. And your vertebrae change shape and make you more inefficient movement. And of course, this matters later on because all of a sudden, maybe you're in your 50s, you've had tightness. So one of the ways the body shows up for this stuff, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. There's always something you can do. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. if you have uh, scoliosis and you know your whole spine's bent to one side. We can make you feel better for sure. Can we get you back to full function? Probably not. But anybody who's telling you that is 
probably lying to you. <laughs> but at the same time, think of little nagging things that happen. I slept on my neck badly last night and my neck hurt. I got a tension, headache, things are stressful at home. You know, my back hurts a little bit in the morning, but once I get moving, I feel fine. Sometimes I feel tingles in my hands and my feet. I get a little neuropathy. I get a little pins and needles. But once I get moving or I drink some water, I'm good. You know, when I sit too long in the car, muscles start to seize up, but that's normal. It's just part of getting older. No, no to all of that. So if you're starting to feel those nagging little bits, your body's telling you like, this isn't working for me. We need to find a new way to do this. And the kicker is, is that if we go back to the lymph discussion, Tight tissue does not promote good blood flow. And the basis of most disease is stagnation. Stuff isn't moving. It can't clean itself out. The concept of a detox diet is inherently misleading because you are detoxifying constantly. So if you are not moving your body and you are not loose, then your body has to work so much harder to make that work. Oh, wow. I'm just, I'm having a moment where I'm thinking about like what I'm getting really aware of as you're speaking is how these different systems feed into each other. So for example, if you've got yes. like adrenal fatigue, if you've got Epstein-Barr, if you have, we've been talking a lot about, I have this funny B12 deficiency thing that is runs in Scandinavian families. It's fun. It's but it's like- a bunch of fish. Probably. I, and you were just, just getting too much B12. It's just too much. I, actually, it's a good probability actually. <laughs> Scott, the Scots and the Swedes were eating too much like pickled herring or something. This seems um, like a good time to talk about sardines. Oh, this is always, Grant's always <laughs> wanting to talk about sardines, but like how these different systems, they impact each other and how it can create this kind of snowball effect where it's like the stress is staying in the system and it's not getting, yes. it's not getting released. And so and part this, of what you're doing is you're helping it off offload. Yeah. And this is something we know really well, right? Like if you exist in a state of anxiety long enough, and if you exist in a state of stress long enough, you end up developing autoimmune disorders, right? Like if you have enough, if you never learn how to deal and how to resolve these things, they literally start killing you. Like you cannot exist in a constant adrenaline rush and not have it affect you. Yeah, I just had like an off the wall question that I, we didn't plan on, but I'm wondering like, does this impact your perspective on corporate structures or anything like that? Because so it's like, it feels like so much of society is set up so that it's like, oh, it's you're, you're sitting, you. you're stressed, mm -hmm. you're burnt out. Like, and if you complain about it, just like work harder, you know, drink more coffee. Why do you like, think the United that? States has the most expense? Like we spend the most money on person to person. And part of that, there's a lot of reasons for that, right? But we spend the most money per person and have horrible outcomes compared to the rest of the world. And a lot of that is, all of us don't live in cities, so we don't walk, right? If you live in the suburbs like I do, you need a car and you need to plan your walks. Like going for a walk in the woods is something my wife and I do every Sunday because I enjoy it and it loosens me up and it's something, but it's a plan. It's not a requirement. Like even walking to the store, the grocery store across from my studio, like that's a little extra work. And sometimes I don't do it because I don't have I mean time. And you order Instacart or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, and this is something Katie Roman talks about, but she's, it's like every time you make things easier for yourself, you give something else up. So every time you have a big old lazy boy chair, which I'm not knocking you if you have a lazy boy chair, I always want it. That's just so comfortable. Comfy. But you're giving something up versus sitting on the floor or doing other things because your body doesn't have to work as hard. 
But yeah, you're entirely correct in that the way we are set up literally makes it harder for us to relax. Because if you cannot deep belly breathe, you exist in a state of adrenal fatigue. Because what happens is, is let's pretend there's a cougar outside and you live, you live on the West Coast. So there, there's cougars out there. Again, I'm very intimately related with any animal that might kill a human in any part of the continent of the United States. But that's for a different podcast. Yes, that's for a different podcast. But it's a good example because nothing is more stressful than seeing a big animal, right? That's a problem. So if you have to run away from something that is actually going to hurt you, you are going to run away and you're going to use everything that you have. You're going to breathe through your shoulders, you're going to breathe through your chest, you're going to use everything you have. And then the way it used to work is after the thing was gone, you relax, you breathe through your belly. But now, we constantly breathe shallow. And the thing is, is it works both ways. So if I constantly breathe through my collarbones and move my shoulders every time, to an extent, I'm creating that same response where I am running away from the jungle cat. Now, that is a very extreme example. It can be, I am thinking about what I have to do for my kids. I am thinking about work. I'm thinking about money. I'm thinking about loss. I'm thinking about all these other things. And I'm not where I'm at my head Because again, we've been trained to multitask, which makes things even harder. So what happens is is when you enter that shoulder breathing, even if you're perfectly relaxed, you are still kind of running away from that jungle cat. So, So it's literally a nice way of putting it is you set yourself up for a situation where your adrenal glands that pump adrenaline and cortisol, which takes a lot of energy off the body. Basically, as soon as you have an adrenaline response, your body starts to recover from that response and prepare to recover from it because it takes a lot out of us, but it makes us slightly superhuman, right? So because my eyes get better, my sense of hearing gets better, I base myself off instinct and no longer after off of you know logical thought, which is sometimes bad, but in a moment can actually be a really good thing, especially if you need to react to something. Wait, yeah. How do you know you're an adrenal response? Oh, that's a really good question. So you know you're in a bit of an adrenaline response if your heart rate is high, you might be sweating, you're taking shallow breaths, basically a lighter anxiety attack. And what I mean by that is like, if you're sitting at a desk, and we all know what this feels like, right? So you feel a pit in your stomach, you're in school, and there's a pop quiz, and you immediately feel that little pitter pat of the heart, little drop in the stomach, right? Or if you're driving, and you see a cop, and it doesn't matter that you were going the speed limit, you still freeze up for a second. That's a mini adrenal response. And then the question is like, do you often feel like that? Is that something where you're constantly thinking about what might happen? Then you're existing in an adrenal response. And the interesting thing is that on a very physical level, you can't exist in these states of anxiety if you are physically relaxed. So if your body's entirely physically relaxed, you cannot exist in this state of anxiety. And I've had fights with people about this point, which has been very much referred to and studied by a lot of psychologists and therapists, is because they're like, no, when I'm relaxed, I'm still feeling anxious. It's like, no, 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 you're not actually relaxed. You can't tell the difference. And that's why I have a job. Wait, okay. And this is, this right here is why I wanted you on the podcast, like right Mm. here, because, because I'm like, I work with so many executives and so many business owners who live inside of this response. And Mm. it shows up. And I mean, aside from coffee, like 
pounding caffeine, right? Like can elicit an adrenal response. Mm -hmm. It can elicit this like feeling of like, up, I've got to go. I've got to fight. Is actually, is there a connection? You would know this. Is it having an adrenal response? Is it the same as uh, sympathetic activation or the different? Yeah, no. Sympathetic activation is an adrenal response is a severe sympathetic activation. Yeah. So it's like, I want to like scream this from the rooftops that this so is this is the norm of like where most of us, when I started working with you in adulthood and starting my business and working in the corporate world and going through my PhD program and like probably 80% of the people in my executive coaching groups, the vast majority of clients when they first show up to me are stuck in sympathetic activation and an adrenal response, which Grant is saying it shows up in your body and it also has an impact on your brain and how you make decisions. So I have a question for you. Yeah. When you coach people who are in this constant state of adrenal response, what is your success rate through coaching alone or through them getting therapy or anything else where that goes away? Is it high? So, So... I would say it's high, but I'm not using head-based coaching solutions. Like mm-hmm. heady coaching, looking at mindset, that helps. But I'd say nine times out of 10, it actually, at least in my experience, there's a degree to which it's required to get to reconnect with the body and start. And which can be really scary for people because initially yeah. they start feeling those like, oh shit, there's a reason I've been dissociating. There's a reason I've been operating in this go, go, go state because I can't feel my hips hurt when I'm sitting down. I can't feel the fact that I don't like my job or that I have a really hard time with that boss and like mm-hmm. coming down and getting connected to your breath and making, reestablishing that habit of shifting from sympathetic into parasympathetic. It's like a muscle and it takes practice and, and there are different things that you can do and grant like we use different modalities and everything, but well, my, my, the reason I asked that question is simply because I'm very curious because I always look at this perspective from, I think I mentioned this to you once is this is the drunk history of Kung Fu, the martial art and how it started, which is basically, okay. So we have some monks, we have some people in a monastery in Southern China and they're trying to find enlightenment. So they're meditating. They're trying to live in the moment. They're, you know, doing dowsing right? They're trying to figure out how to be. And a guy walks in, he's hiking through the mountains. He comes in and he goes, what are you doing? They say, well, we're trying to find enlightenment. He looks at him and he goes, seems like you're really bad at it. And they go, yeah, we are having no success whatsoever. So this man went, well, let me show you something. And he started showing them a series of movements. And the series of movements was the basis of Kung Fu, which just another thing that I love to teach Qigong, but Qigong is related in that same acupuncture kind of world where you're using meridians to heal. It's related to Tai Chi and Kung Fu, but it is not a martial art. But Kung Fu is. But it's about mastering yourself. It's much about mastering you know, the art of protecting yourself. And this whole thing was, you did it wrong. You ignored the body. You can't have both. You can't be ahead. If you think about it in a very spiritual sense, I am truly believe we are not just our bodies. Not at all. It's, I've had too many interesting experiences that that doesn't feel true at all. But we are here and we do have to deal with the physical world. And if we ignore that, we are ignoring a huge piece of our experience and feedback. So his whole thing was, and this drunk history of Kung Fu is, if you do not pay attention to the body, 
your mind will suffer. And that's something I really find to be true. And why I work with kids and teenagers and older people dealing with anxiety. And one of the biggest things I tell them is, okay, we got to find your root. And in esoteric terms, we can talk about the root chakras in yoga, or we can talk about the seven different places your body should expand when you breathe, one of them being your pelvic floor, which is really the basis of that. And a big piece of that is learning how to squat. If you're stressed and anxious, learning how to squat can actually make you feel very grounded because you got a windy mind. You're up in space. You need to be in the ground. And I'm not talking about that in a metaphoric sense. I mean, literally, you need to be on the ground. You need your butt on next to your heels on the ground. And that alone can really, really help solidify and get you out of what you mentioned, like sympathetic fight or flight, which is also like, it's a simplification. Clearly we can get into that some other time, but yeah, but like fight or flight is very much a simplification. There's a lot of other things going on there. And then parasympathetic rest and digest It's the rest and digest part in Chinese medicine. It would be yang and yin yang sympathetic yin is parasympathetic yin is how you relax and you sleep and you heal yang is action yang is getting up in the morning and doing stuff you can have both you can't have an axis of one and not the other because then you end up with a bunch of weird situations so what's interesting is depending on what modality we're talking about everybody's talked about this for thousands of years like none of this is new and none of it's new. Yeah. None of, and even when we talked about the humors back before the Enlightenment in Europe, they were talking about similar stuff. They weren't using the word chi or prana or energy, but they were talking about a lot of the same stuff. I'm so excited to soundbite that part for the, for the thing that you just said. I'm going to go and I'm going to cut it out because it's so oh, good. Cool. Um, we got one. I'm no, I'm so glad that you said that though, because well, and I also appreciate the acknowledgement that this stuff, and I think that's really important to bottom line that like this stuff is not new. And in a lot of these spaces, and for a lot of people who have been operating from that place of fight or flight all the time, and in the go, like go, 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 and the grind, and like in like burnout culture and everything like that, it feels new. And it is, it's like, even the, I mean, and both, it's so funny even having you on the podcast because we grew up so similarly and have like we did, yeah. similar, we were talking about how we like think very similarly. And I know for, for, at least I'll speak for myself, like I'm so intellectual and I can be so up here and pulling, like pulling us down into the body so that we actually start noticing these things and start, can start relating to ourselves as physical beings and also have the frankly, spiritual expansion that can happen when we connect to our bodies because there's all kinds of stuff that happens there. But like for you, Grant, if you're like, okay, someone's listening to this and I'm like, all right, I'm in fight or flight. My shoulders are tight. I have headaches. What do I do? You've already mentioned a couple. You've mentioned like, are you squatting? How's your hip mobility? You know, like, are you doing, like, are you 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 able to tilt? Are you hanging? Because that actually helps with the shoulder packing because it allows your shoulders to stretch so that you can actually feel the muscles underneath the armpit. So when you stretch a muscle, you actually increase the awareness of the area. So sometimes it doesn't even lengthen the muscle in any permanent way. That doesn't ever really happen. You actually, you get a bit of that, but you actually learn how to tolerate the stretch better. But it actually makes you more aware of, oh, my shoulders are really up. Now I know how to push them down. Like, oh, the problem is worse. So now I know what to feel and how to move back and forth. So yeah, so. Like I mentioned, like squatting. And then there are, this is why 
I have a job because it is it is a lot to try to unpack. And this is why like I've made online courses and all those other fun things to try to break this down for people and really easy to use bites. But if you're not doing any of that, don't worry about it. Things you want to focus on that I would highly recommend is do the pelvic tilt thing that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, where you flatten your back and you arch your back off the ground. And you do this, you can do this on the bed. You can do it anywhere else, but try to focus on your hips doing the motion. If it hurts, don't do it in such a big range of motion, but make sure you're breathing. Don't hold your breath. The other one is put something heavy on your belly, breathe in through your nose. And so I'm, by heavy, I mean big old book, a weight, it doesn't matter. A child. A child. Well, child might be trouble. They uh, might wait around. A cat works really well because <laughs> they're always sitting on your belly. So from here, you can inhale and try to move that object with your breath. Don't tighten your abs. Don't push your abs forward. Simply breathe through the inhale and see if that's easy. Can I move that object with ease? And then try to slow it down. Inhale for four, hold for four. Exhale for four, hold for four. Do that for a couple of minutes every night. You are already in a good place. Because then if you ever decide that you want to do more exercise or you're already doing more exercise, you will be doing it more efficiently. And then the last one is, if you can get a hold of a pull-up bar, please hang. Because that does more for the hands and the shoulders and lengthening your spine and getting you better at breathing through your belly and releasing some of the tension in the shoulders. It's really good. If you don't have a bar, another easy thing to do is play with the elevation of your shoulders. So what I mean by that is you lie on your back, you're in that same position, you've already been breathing, and then you slide your shoulders up and you can have your hands facing up to the sky or down to your sides, slide the shoulders up towards your ears, and then push the shoulders down towards your hips. Now you may feel a stretch in your neck if you're very tight. Keep breathing and do it again. And when you can feel that muscle underneath your armpit and down through the sides of your rib cage, tighten it and get really used to being able to tighten it. And then when you're walking, try to be aware of that. You don't have to cram it down, but all those things I just talked about, see what your hips are doing. Try to breathe through your belly when you walk. Try to keep your shoulders down just enough so you can feel a little bit of tingle of that muscle working. If you have those three things, you're in a pretty decent place. Because I mentioned like squatting is really important, but if you don't have those three skills, squatting well is nearly impossible. Hmm. Because a squat is a really complicated movement because it involves every joint in your body, especially if you raise your arms out to the sides of your ears, up towards the sky. It's basically everything. So that can be a tough thing to figure out how to do unless you have those other pieces moving. But then, yeah, grabbing hold of a doorknob or something solid and sitting into a deep squat and just hanging out in a stretch. Kelly Starlet, who's a pretty famous physical therapist and a big CrossFit guy, he advocates doing that for at least 10 minutes where you can hold a deep squat for 10 minutes. Have you ever tried to hold a deep squat for 10 minutes? It's agony. I'm not saying start with 10 minutes. I'm going like a minute or two. Like if you can't deep squat, you can grab something and sit into a squat for up to three minutes a day until you can. Also, let me just speak to the people. I know that there will be people who are like me, who are listening to this, who grew up with CrossFit or Orange Theory or long distance running, running, who are like, but it's not, but Grant, it's not going to be hard enough. I need to work out harder. Y'all, the things that Grant has given me that seem really simple have been the the things that have kicked my ass harder than any. So like 
I like that I laughed maniacally as you said that. that. That was quite devious, but you've given me like 10 minutes of jump roping or relearning to crawl in a oh, doing bear, the jaguar like a, crawl. The jaguar crawl. So man. bear crawls where your butt's higher and you're more of a downward dog position. Other people, everything has six names. So yeah, you, what I'm describing, you might be like, no, that's a bear crawl. But it's where you keep your body in, in a neutral place, your spine in a neutral place. So when you tilt your pelvis back and forth, like the practice I was just mentioning, when you let your spine rest after going in both directions, that's the midline. That's the middle of it. And that's neutral spine. Neutral spine isn't a place, it's a range of motion. So the idea of the crawl is be on your hands and knees looking forward, tuck your toes under, lift your knees off the ground, and start walking opposite arm and leg while looking forward in a neutral spine position. And if you can't do that, keep your knees on the ground and do that. And if it feels easy, did your shoulders go up towards your ears? Because they definitely did. So if you don't feel it in your abs and you don't feel it in the quads and in the glutes, the chances are your shoulders are sliding up and you're breathing into your chest. And this is why and on that, that core, I made a, I made a basis on my course a couple months ago that I think it's like week six is crawling. It's just crawling. And my parents who have gone through the course, it's like, how is week six? And I'm like, we don't, we don't do week six. Like, do you need to start doing week six. And then my dad calls me the next day. He's like, it was really hard. So keep going. And that was, you know, and they're, they're great. Dad's almost 70. The guy's swinging a 50 pound kettlebell. Uh, Good for him. And doing deep squats and playing golf every day. Guy's my hero. Also, as you're listening to this, like Grant, you think so technical, like you have so much technical knowledge. And if any of this feels like confusing to you, I would hide, like you have virtual sessions. I do, yeah, I do that. I, I, and yeah, I yeah. do assessments for people. So if you are listening, I'll plug myself. If you are listening to this and you're you're thinking, hmm, I would like to fix some of those issues that Grant mentioned, but I don't know about all this. I do assessments for people. They are free. They're about 30 or 45 minutes. You can schedule it on my website, hidden-warrior.com. You can call me. It's my cell phone. <laughs> and I will answer. And we can have a conversation and set a time up. And the thing is, is thanks to the pandemic, I'm really good at doing this through Zoom. Because it, it, again, there are certain things to look for that if I pat myself on the back for a second, that I am very good at finding. Uh, yeah, you see things very really fast. Clear. Well, and also it's a big piece of it is what do you feel? So after I have people do stuff, it's where'd you feel that? And if the, if the answer is like, oh, that's an answer that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You're very, very quick at picking that stuff up. You were able to diagnose what was going on with my... Y'all, I had um, really horrible like ocular migraines for all of January right after I had COVID. And Grant was like absolutely instrumental in being able to support me through that along with functional medicine. Again, yeah. like that sort of combination is Well, it's because really again, wild. if you are not internally right, mm-hmm. right? I don't care how much exercise you do. It won't get looser. Now there's an exception to this rule. So there's this guy, he's this Ukrainian doctor and his, uh, his name is A-S-A-M-O-V, Asimov. And it's not the writer, Asimov. There was a guy, A-S-I-M-O-V, who's a pretty famous science fiction writer. But this is a guy who lived until about 94 and did open heart surgeries until he was 85. And he came up with this concept back in the 1920s that to move, you have to move a lot to be able to be healthy. And this was a guy who was very sickly in his early years of 20s. So he came up with a system that was called thousand movements a day. 
And I actually recorded the exercises because I couldn't find them. So I made a recording of them on my YouTube channel that's eight minutes long because I did 20 of each exercise because I did not want to do 100 or 50 of everything. But it was these about 10 movements and you do a thousand movements a day and you build up to it, of course. And you, the thing is, is initially you can start quite slowly because you're getting used to it. But by the end of it, you're basically ballistic stretching. So you're moving side to side or you're squatting very quickly because that was his thing. It's like, you need to get the heart rate up too and move all this. One of his things was doing what's called a reverse crunch in some cases where you are lying flat on the ground and you tuck your hips under and you bring your legs up towards your chest, you bring your tailbone off the ground, you roll your body all the way into a plow position, cut your feet behind your head on the ground, legs are still straight, and then you come back and lie flat. The amount of strength that that takes to accomplish is a lot. Yeah. And there are variations of that to make it a lot easier and more applicable. But this guy did this until the end of his life. So I just want you to think about this. And if you look up his name and you look up a thousand movement problems, it'll show up. And there's this excellent picture of him from his 70s. And when he was in his 70s, and he just he looks 50 and he's this barrel-chested Ukrainian. And you know, he's been he, he's lived through the communist regiment. So like his eyes are there's a lot of pain behind those eyes. But guy apparently outran people in terms of physician until his late 80s. So crazy. And the thing is, it's not complicated. That's I know this thing. stuff is really not. Yeah. It's you... not complicated. Like as I talk about muscles and everything else, it can sound really confusing, but it's if you move in a variety of ways, health will find you. The key word well, being variety. You yeah, cannot well, run for an hour every day and expect health. I wish I could take a time machine and tell myself that at the age of what, how old, like 22. She could have used that. She wouldn't have, let's be honest, she wouldn't have listened. You you knew me at 22. Uh, she, say, she at would, that point, I could have told you that probably. <laughs> I know she was, she wouldn't have listened. But well, so Grant, I have some rapid ish fire questions for you that I kind of like to end on, but I'm going to add one specifically for you because I'm sure everybody is curious. Like, so what is your personal routine, care routine look like at this point? Oh, that's an excellent question. So mine changes about every six months or not every six months, but every six weeks, the movements or the intensity will change ever so slightly. So what I mean by that is same, but different. So there's always a squat. There's always a push. There's always a pull. There's always some kind of hinge. Now, is the squat always weighted? No. Is it sometimes lateral where I'm focusing on stuff? Sure. You know, it's always sticking. There's always some sort of rotation. And there is always, 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 and this is more in the last year where I've become a real believer in this. There is always a component of mobility training. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is kind of like the videos I sent you a while back that were active stretching. So active stretching is different than passive stretching in that you are moving through a range of motion. The guy I sent you, and you can look him up because he's awesome. It was, was Mark good. Wildman. There you go. But he does some active stretches as well. But a lot of people do this now. And it's where where I will spend, you know, 15 to 45 minutes a day. Again, remember, this is my job. You don't have to spend 45 minutes a day. I just have to make things look easy so it feels possible. <laughs> also, I have a curiosity here. So this is also my job. So it's research for helping people. If I can do the things and learn how to do them, I can teach them better. So. My numbers are more intense than they need to be. So I'll work out maybe three or four days a week. 
for about 30 to 40 minutes in terms of strength workout. And then those other days, I try to do a little bit of cardio every day. Like right now, I'm on a jump roping kick where I, as I told you, try to do this is just trying to jump, jump rope roping buddies. straight. Y'all, it's hard. It's really, I mean, just consistently jump roping for 10 minutes. Like, don't stop. Keep going. If you smack yourself in the arm, keep going. And keep that's going. Also, keep it, the tongue on the roof of your mouth and breathe through your nose. Oh, I always forget that Because that will part. force the diaphragm to breathe. That's why, like, taping your mouth shut is so good for you. Well, it's not necessarily good for you, but it's like, it's why people do it. And it's so relieving because it forces you to breathe through your nose and it changes how your diaphragm and how your belly breath works because the breath goes through your nose much more intensely. So if you breathe through your nose as you're exercising, initially it feels horrible because your CO2 tolerance is terrible. And then it feels really good. And then you feel like you can go forever. And then, so there's some jump roping. And then I do a healthy diet of like Qigong and some yoga. A lot of the calisthenics and the other training I do has yoga components in it. So a lot of that is covered. And a lot of Qigong is really similar to yoga anyway, because everybody steals from everybody else and that's fine. But yeah, that would basically, and then try to meditate every day. That's also a recent thing. And I also try to journal, not try, I've been meditating every day and I've been journaling every day for the last couple months now. And that's also really helped. Because again, if you're stressed, you don't gain any muscle. So all that work that you put in, if you're not sleeping well or you're stressed out or your mind's running a mile a minute and you haven't taken care of the other side, it doesn't matter what you did. Your body doesn't care because it doesn't care about your muscles. It cares it about your, lose weight. your health. Yeah. And you'll lose weight, which I have totally done. Yeah. Or you won't lose weight, right? Yeah. Isn't oh, that yeah. True? So that's the other thing that can happen. Yes. So sometimes when you're really anxious and there is stress and it's not a healthy type of stress, I think we haven't made that clear where there are healthy types of stress. Like you getting out of the way of a moving car because you don't want to get hit. Like that is a stressful moment and it is useful. You know, thinking about your boss over your weekend and what he's going to say to you or she's going to say to you about something that's really not that consequential, but it's commanding all of your, that's less useful. But what can happen is, is basically you can either thin out or you can really put on weight a lot easier because part of that adrenaline fatigue sometimes is your body wants to hold on to as much weight as possible. And it can mess with your blood sugar, which changes the way that you create fat in the body. And yeah, it's a big old goopy mess in there. Yeah. That's why you call Grant. Well, so is there anything else you didn't mention? Did you, uh, did you hit it? No, I hit it. That was, yeah, that's my basic okay. routine. I know we haven't really talked about leadership and I'm like, I, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, particularly on this podcast is like rethinking how we think about it, right? Because it's like, okay. well, we have the executive way of thinking about it or whatever. But for you, like, how do you think about leadership? What does it mean to for you? For me, and I do consider myself a leader, certainly because I'm, or at least a guide, like maybe that might be a more comfortable word, partially because I don't like being told what to do. So I don't like following. <laughs> so that's one reason where it's like, well, that, that doesn't work. But the other piece of it is, is a big piece of it for me is to show people and to guide them and to fig- help them figure out how much they can help themselves and to help them figure out this thing that I think we've all kind of accepted that as my wife goes through her pregnancy right now is something that's being thrown at us a lot, which is we've come to believe that humans are not that strong, that we're not that resilient, but you are. 
And that's actually why I call my business Hidden Warrior, because it doesn't take much to reveal that warrior. It really doesn't. And my main goal for people is to show them like they can take physical advocacy of their life and they can take mental advocacy of their life and they can have that control, but they can also have that piece of no control, right? Because that's another piece of it is being okay with the things we can't change. And the reason I mentioned my wife is so many people are like, well, this bad thing can happen and this bad thing can happen. You know, you're going to have a natural birthing plan. Do you have a backup plan? Of course we have a backup plan. Of course we do. But also there was a time where this was not that concerning, where we didn't think of all these different things that happen to us on a daily basis, like getting older as something that is morbid. And so if I can undo some of that in a leadership way, in a guiding way, mm, that's what gets me up in the morning. Oh my gosh. I love that definition so much too, because it's, I think a lot of... I've had this experience as a coach. I also see it a lot with like leaders who I work with where it's it's like there's this pressure that we put on ourselves to be the, it's like, well, I will help you do the thing. And it's like, no, you will help you do the thing. And I'm creating the space for it because you are inherently capable and powerful and brilliant. And so I love that that, like so much of what you do is really about reconnecting people with that power. It's really, really cool. Grant, for you, in terms of your own personal growth and development, what's the most impactful modality you've encountered? Hmm. Ah, that's a good question too. I would say recently, Qigong is probably the most impactful because I love yoga, but yoga has been westernized to an extent where it's a physical exercise. And also yoga in itself is a much more physical practice in some groups. In other groups, people will focus just on the spiritual, but let's be honest. If you Google yoga right now, most of them are hot yoga studios and most of them are very, very physical, which not knocking it, just not something I needed. Whereas the Qigong practice that I enjoy is some of that, but it's really about getting very internal and being able to manipulate very deep parts of your body and really increase awareness. So that's definitely one. The other one I would say actually is kettlebell training. That's another favorite or club bell training for maces. Basically heavy objects that you get to throw around. And one of that is realizing, because a barbell is simple and it can be very helpful, but for some people it can be very intimidating because they know what it is and you can lift the heaviest weights doing that. But kettlebell training teaches you how to throw things and how to create power. So it's not just about, it's much more it can be a much more functional way to introduce things. Also, the very nature, shape of the weight makes it so certain things work a lot harder without you having to think about them. So that's why I have a big old stack of kettlebells in the studio. But I also have a barbell and other things, depending on the person. But of things for my own personal journey, like one of the best things I ever did physically for myself was I did uh, Pavel's Simple and Sinister workout for six months, which involves 100 kettlebell swings. And five Turkish get-ups on both sides. And by the end of those six months, I was swinging an 80 to 100 pound kettlebell and I was Turkish get-upping about 80 pounds. So I had never played with that much weight in those scenarios, but it just built up so slowly, I didn't even notice the strength. And then that made me realize beyond that, it's like simple stuff is great. And sometimes you got to make it more complicated because you do have to address things eventually. But it also showed me like, oh, no, you can get real far on just two really straightforward exercises. 
It's really cool. I'm gonna have to Google that. What did you say? Pavel's Sinister. Pavel, Simple and Sinister. So Pavel Satsulin, although he just calls himself Pavel now, is one of the guys who brought kettlebells to the United States. And he's this very, very dry, very funny Russian man and that he's extremely serious. But then also you can't tell if he's being serious or not. But he breaks things down in a very simple way. And for him, it's all about strength. He doesn't talk about mobility as much anymore, which is disappointing because because as someone pointed out once in an article I was reading about him, is everybody's trying to be as strong as Pavel. No one was ever trying to be as flexible. And that guy is very flexible and very healthy and very strong. So it's it's one of those pieces where you can have both. You need both. You both need to be strong and flexible. You can't just have one. Just like you both need parasympathetic and sympathetic. They're actually supposed to be friends. You can't just exist in a state of constant relaxation. That doesn't work either. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we'll y'all, if you're like curious about that, we'll link some information on that in the show mm-hmm. notes or at least put the name. Oh my gosh. So cool. Well, and Grant, any other wisdom or anything you'd like to offer the listeners before we wrap? No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure on that. For just the rest of the day or maybe the next day, all I want you to do is focus on completely exhaling every time you breathe. So you'll forget, but remember, because when we fully exhale, we are in the moment. And that's all we are. Because where are you right now? You're right where you are. You're nowhere else. So if we live in the moment, good stuff happens. Very cool. Grant, thank you so much for joining us today and for all of your wisdom. You know, so I had this, as you were talking, I also had all these funny flashbacks of like you and AP Chem in high school. Oh yeah, I studied chemistry in college too. It was like the way that your brain kind of processes information is really something to behold and like so such a gift to your clients. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and I know that there will be people who are listening who are like, okay, how do we work with this guy? So how do where can listeners find you online? Okay, so they can find, I mean, you can look up Hidden Warrior or Hidden Warrior Yoga on Instagram. That is our handle, hidden-warrior.com is our website. Or if you look up Hidden Warrior or Hidden Warrior Yoga and my name, uh, you can find us on Google real easy, hopefully, because that's what I've been trying to do. Uh, and on there is information to contact or to chat. And again. If you just have questions and you're not sure you want to work with me or you don't want to you want to do something with me, just schedule an assessment because I'm happy to impart information and then never see you again. As we've seen on this podcast with how generous you've been. So just just grant oh, thank you so much. Because the thing I'm so happy to share because for me it's like go explore these things. And if you do, you'll get more curious. It's really, yeah. really cool. Well, and you've made such a, you've made an enormous difference for me and I just, I appreciate you. So Grant, thank you so much for being on the podcast and yeah, everyone, we will see you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.